Guess who's back? Back again. What is this intro? <laughs> Jim and Bran are back. Tell the audience. Oh, Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess. This is our last episode today. Ba da 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 da. Me and Jimmy have decided to go our separate ways. Ba da 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 da. <laughs> this looks like a job for us, man. Guys, welcome back to another episode of Cashes and Critics. I'm fucking excited. Are you excited, Brandon? I'm okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your enthusiasm. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because we are done our uh, Spooktoberfest, That's which right. was good. I enjoyed it. Did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, sure. I saw a bunch of films that I hadn't seen. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, again, horror movies are my favorite things, but I'm kind of happy that we're back to just doing general movies that we both enjoy and that we potentially going to watch movies that we haven't seen ever. Yeah. So, yeah, so for this movie, we both have seen it. Yes, I saw it one time when it came out back in 2015. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is The the Martian. Yeah, my favorite Martian starring Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm going to talk about the callbacks that fucking, uh, oh my God, forgetting name already, of uh, Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, actor. What's his name? I don't know. Oh, my God. How, we already fudging up names. I don't know. It was unplanned. <laughs> uh, we didn't plan this out. This is this bit was not planned. Yes, we don't rehearse. Our, Jeff Daniels, man. How am I forgetting Jeff? Jeff Bridges. Got it. <laughs> yeah, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> Can you imagine Jeff Bridges being like <laughs> the NASA guy? <laughs> I'll be so scared to work with him. <laughs> Why? Be like, Mark Watney build himself potatoes alone with a bat with a box of scraps. <laughs> yeah. Was that Jeff Bridges? <laughs> yes, it was Jeff Bridges. He was an Iron Man one. Obadiah Stane. Yeah. So the Iron Man references again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are the odds? What are the odds, right? Everything ties back into this film. <laughs> yeah. So this is movie is directed by Ridley Scott, which is funny because one of the last couple of movies we did was one of uh, Ridley Scott's most famous work being Alien. Yeah, exactly. This man's directed four movies. I mean, that's a pretty big insult on Ridley Scott, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's directed a lot of movies, just not uh, like a lot of them were popular. Yeah. Yeah. I can see. You could say that like maybe four out of I'd say like five. I'd say five are at least well known is like Alien, Blade Runner, uh this the friggin' Gladiator. Which one did you say? Oh, this like the Martian, yeah. yeah. And then he has some other films which I don't I don't know how well received they were, but they're well known. Like I'd say Hannibal. Hannibal, Prometheus, Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Well, well-known films, but they weren't, like, I don't think they were that successful, necessarily. No, I guess not. But yeah, so, but he's he's done a lot of stuff, so. Yeah. And this is him going back to space, and I think this is, it's mentioned this is 
his first film to receive like wide recognition in like 12 years since, yeah since like black hawk down yeah exactly because uh really scott i mean this happens to a lot of i feel like a lot of popular directors they run into what we like to call i don't know like director fatigue or maybe just like what's the equivalent of like when somebody's not performing well anymore i don't know it's, i don't know what the term is but yeah i get what you're saying it's like a slump like yeah, director that- slump yeah, he gets into a slump, so... Yeah, I mean... This does happen to a lot of sort of more well-known directors, especially if, if they start off strong, like uh, Ridley Scott did with his second film being Alien, so and then his third film being Blade Runner, so... Yeah. So. I mean, we've seen it with, like... Uh, well, I think the best case is, like, M. Night Shyamalan, because <laughs> it's debatable if he ever got out of that slump. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's considered, like, his first two films were his best films. And then after that, it was just kind of, uh, yeah, it just like turned into like literally like a downward spiral. Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people who actually liked the village. So, but I, you want to show me that person because I don't. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, yeah, obviously Sixth Sense and uh, Unbreakable were considered his best movies. Yeah, I feel like he got that up with, like, The Visit, but then, like, again, like, it became another, tr- like, downward spiral. It was like, oh, shit, he's just doing it all again. <laughs> I remember we were talking, I was talking to a friend because he watched M. Lloyd Shaman's film because we kept, like, memeing about the twists, right? Mm-hmm. And he watched um, Lady in the Water when it came out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, what was the twist? And he's like, yeah, there wasn't any twist. I'm like, what a twist. <laughs> well, he can only do that once, though. Right. <laughs> Does not put a twist in the film. <laughs> and then that's the real twist. Yeah. So, yeah, again, every great director always goes through a hard uh, slump. And I feel like The Martian broke that slump. I like to believe because this is based on a novel. Yeah, an album by Andrew Weir, I believe the author's name was. I hear he's a very popular author. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to admit something. I haven't read a book fully in a long time, so... Yeah. So I'm not uh, not going to get into this whole... This is, this is a movie podcast, not a book podcast. Right, no, no, but like whenever I, I, I've had Audible and whatnot, I always hear like a Andy Weir movie uh, book like suggested to me. So I'm assuming that he's a very popular like author i mean for you book fans out there i know one of them who listens to this pod uh she can tell me <laughs> if uh andy weir is really popular or not yeah i wouldn't know but yeah he, he wrote this one so yeah so i feel like that helped a lot because there's already like um and that adapt there's already a screenplay sort of yeah that they can based on yeah i mean that's uh common thing they do a lot in Hollywood is basing things off books or like previous films. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it provides a good basis. It's hard. It's, it's people say there's no original ideas. And in a way there is, that is somewhat true. They aren't really like truly, truly original ideas. Cause everything's sort of derivative of one another. Yeah. But so it's like, it's hard to just like make an original screenplay like mm-hmm. out of nothing. So, but that's not like, um, a bad thing necessarily. So it just matters how well it's done. I, yeah. I think so. And I think the, the, like the way they adapted it for a screenplay in a movie, uh, you had Drew good, good art. How do you say his last name? Goodard. Gooded. Yeah. I can't pronounce it, <laughs> but, um, good. It's good and art. 
Goodard. Yeah, it's like a very <laughs> basic sounding name. Well, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Drew got no, sorry, Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard. Okay. Yeah. So he's already like a really like big writer in Hollywood. He also directed a couple of hits to Cabin in the Woods. For you horror fans out there, he, for your comic book fans, he created the show Daredevil. That was like universally acclaimed for most people. Um, Let me just do some quick research on him. Yeah, he's uh, he did uh, he wrote Cloverfield. I think he produced uh, the Ten Cloverfield Lane, The Good Place. I mean, if anyone watched that show, I haven't watched it, but I uh, isn't that the one that's like with the creator at the office? Uh, uh, like if she goes to heaven or some shit like that. No, that's, are you talking about? Did she create the office? I thought she was in Parks. And no, Christ. he created the office. Oh, no, created- I. No, isn't that Veronica Mars? Yeah. Oh, he did a World War Z as well. Oh, okay. As a as a writer and as well as in he's an uncredited writer in Deadpool 2, apparently. Oh, there you go. So clearly this guy knows what he's doing. And Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. Oh, there you go. So clearly he's been in the industry. He is a really good writer. Hmm? Fucking lost. Okay. I don't know. Oh, lost. (laughs) Well, that could go. That makes sense because J.J. Abrams. He works closely with J.J. Abrams. That makes sense. Okay. (laughs) What what do you have against lost? (laughs) I never actually watched a show. My friend who like watched the show told me about it. It just sounded more and more ridiculous as it went on. Well, yeah. (laughs) It's like the monster is actually a pillar of smoke. And then they have yeah. like a secret computer and they need to input a code every often or else it blows up the thing. And then it blows up the uh, And they found like a steering wheel that can drive the island through time. Yeah. And I was like, what is this nonsense? Yeah. What do you mean? The smoke machine turns into a, a human that like uh, one of the survivors and he acts like has them because he, uh, he dies. So he takes his place. Do you hear yourself? The smoke machine turned into a the smoke. The smoke monster. Sorry. Oh yeah, that's much more reasonable. <laughs> the smoke monster. <laughs> the smoke. <laughs> that's that makes more sense. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The living smoke. Yeah, they turn back in time. Like survivors get out of the island, they come back <laughs> for unfinished business. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yo, know, look, man, hey, don't just fucking lost, okay? <laughs> I watched that shit. Yeah. Arrowly <laughs> when it was on TV. <laughs> Back in the day. I blame my dad. Fucking <laughs> lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I never got into that show. So well, fair enough. I never got into those shows at the time, like Lost and 24 and all that. Ah, uh, yeah. No. I, I did watch the first season of 24 and I was like, yeah, that's cool. And I just never watched the rest of it. <laughs> And it apparently went on too long, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> back to the Martian. Yeah. <laughs> that, our famous tangents where we just get lost in the uh, transition. We're getting lost. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, the Martian. Um, well, what do you like about it? Because. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I'm going to start off with a, actually with a criticism. Is The film is very long <laughs> it's a thing is around like two and a half hours which is longer than average mm-hmm. and it is of slow film for sure but it is engaging in a way because of how it is sort of formatted 
Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I think I was reading in the, in the trivia, this was the author formatted. He wrote this on like a, a blog or something originally mm. where he wrote it like as a serial. So he had, his idea was different problems would arise and he'd have to come up with different ways Mark could solve them. And it's sort of the same format as the film where different mm. things arise and they solve problems like one step at a time. And so it's not like... And it is an overarching story, but like the format is broken up into sort of like miniature segments. That's or, yeah, that's actually cool. I didn't know that. Or it's just like yeah, so it's like it gives you something to sort of latch on to, like at each moment, rather than trying to like remember every single thing that's happened in like the past two hours watching this like film. Yeah, and it's like, and the other thing is, it is a more realistic science fiction film, which mm-hmm. is not too common, honestly. Like most realistic science films are like documentary style films or like like historical retellings of something rather yeah. than like a complete fictional thing right yeah you're right it's like i think it's like uh, it's one person said like the appeal of this was like a lot of the time when they have things set on mars it usually ends up being like a horror movie sort of almost where there's like ghosts of mars. There's like ghosts or like zombies or, doom. Or, or like aliens or some shit on mars yeah right Rather than, like, a guy's just on Mars and he has to, like, survive, which is, like, realistic. Like, it's an actual problem, you know? Yeah. And they address a lot of those in the film, which we're going to talk about, I guess. But I think that's the uh, the major appeal of it. It's just, like, the sort of struggle of, like, a not a regular guy, but, like, just, well, just a human, like. Yeah. And it's sort of, like. It's just like interesting to see because it makes you think like, oh, what would, how would you survive the situation in a way? So. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, for me, like basically it's the world that they built in in this movie. Um, it's not only that we see Mark's like struggle in Mars, but his struggle in Mars is reflected to what is going on in actual Earth too. The fact that like NASA has to figure out ways to save him, you know? So you get to see their struggle and what they had to go through just in order to get like their astronaut back home. And, but you also see the crew that left them there. Yeah. Basically there are struggles too about like how we're going to get them back. So I like that it shows different aspects of like everybody working towards a goal to save him. Uh, I mean, also great ensemble cast. I I was telling you before, like I I I think this ensemble cast is fucking ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> like it has like what well, you have Matt Damon, Jeff Daniels, uh, Sebastian Stan, True Tell Edia for Kristen Wiig. Yeah, uh, Jessica Chastain. Yeah, uh, Benedict Wong. Like, all these big names now Now you see in movies. Like, whether you see... A lot of them showed up in Marvel movies. Donald Glover. Yeah, Donald Glover. Like, this a uh, Mackenzie Davis from Black Mirror. Like, a lot of big actors are in this film. And I don't feel like none of them really steal the spotlight. They all, like, really complement each other. Yeah, no, it's not like this is like about sort of getting Matt Damon home, but it's more like it's like you said, it's not just like a singular story. It's all like it's one story about multiple people working together to solve this one issue. Exactly. So and it's like um, I think we were comparing it earlier. It has a very similar feel to Castaway, right? Mm -hmm. But unlike that film where it's all just like one perspective of one guy Mm -hmm. the whole time. 
And this is like very many perspectives yeah. solve one problem. So yeah. So personally, I like that because you don't get like you you still get the feeling that he's alone in Mars. I mean, the story in itself is pretty screwed up if you really think about it. It's like Castaway times a thousand. Yeah, because he literally they literally have no he has no way to get home anytime soon. So, yeah, so the fact that you see him reaching, uh, fixing each issue and figuring out how he can sustain longer life, it's engaging. You say that the movie's long, 100% it is, but it's also, I feel like it's decently paced, too. Not yeah. only that, but, like, it also has a lot of comedic elements, too, that really make it work. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's kudos, again, back to the screenplay, um... Uh, like every there's even like subtle like references sprinkled here and there on like certain things that I guess we'll talk about when we're talking more about the plot. Uh but it's stuff like that. It's like attention to detail on the script. But again, we're gonna add another aspect, really Scott's attention to detail. We mentioned that in Aliens, that however he liked to talk to his production designers about how he created sets, I feel like he had the same fucking conversation with the production designers on this set because it looks beautiful yeah i think i was reading this has this film has less sets than like some of his other films but they're they're very technical they're very detailed sets exactly like there's not a lot of settings in the film but they are very detailed when they do have them so yeah you're telling me that this movie uh on the on the novel it's um set in 2035 that's what the author said. He, it was supposed to be set 2035. So. It, in, in some weird ways, I kind of believe that. I'm not really into how big science has come across, especially in, like, what they say, aerodynamics and NASA. I, I don't know what, like, new discoveries or new, like, equipment they have. I don't follow that stuff. But it does look futuristic in the sense that even I look at it and I'm like, I don't even know if we have that here still to... Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's futuristic looking enough that it's not like, it looks like it's like technology we don't necessarily have, but it's not like so far off that it's like alien looking. Yeah. It's like, so like, like this is 3000 years into the future, you know? Exactly. It's like something that's like, oh, okay. I can see them developing this within like the century or something. Right. Exactly. So it's, it makes it feel like it's a modern sci-fi movie, something that you could relate on a uh, couple of things. Like, again, we talked about alien liking about how weird that like back in the 70 in 79, they thought like how technology was going to be in some certain way. And you look at those sets, it looks again, like all messy, like cluttered. Like how did it, <laughs> how did they work? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, we're saying that all the millions of like control panels, which like don't make any sense. Like, and I think it's like, um, I think we also mentioned that review, how it's like more modern science fiction films like this one, by the same director, all the, the spaceships look a lot cleaner, right? Everything looks more streamlined. Right? Yeah. And as much as I love those set designs and the creativity they have, you can also appreciate the sleeker designs that this movie provides. So that's something that I like. Again, it's just Ridley Scott's attention to detail. I feel like that's what he's really best at is at delivering is this like sense of detailness to 
whatever he's shooting. Even some of the camera shots were really damn good. Again, he has great eyes. That's why he's a director directing like for how many years now? Like almost 30 years. Yeah. So Yeah, and he even though he's not like <clears throat> he's been struggling a little bit, he hasn't like fallen off, right? So Yeah, like his worst work is better than most directors. Yeah, like, exactly. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, speaking of one set, just to mention, I think he liked the one set where they have the um, the main ship, the Hermes, where they're they have the uh, the one section which is like the rotating mm-hmm. like hallways essentially, and you can sort of like float into the one you want. Yeah, and it's just like I think that's like it mainly works because of how clean it looks, right? It, it's believable. Like, you just go, like, zoom, like, zoom into the spot you yeah, want, right? Yeah, that looks cool. Or if you want to, like, you did that in, like, an alien set, it would look, like, really weird. And, like, like how does this person not, like, like cut themselves a million times flying through this thing, right? <laughs> Especially if they go to the chain area. <laughs> yeah, the boiler room. Yeah. Yeah, like, oh, God. It's just, like, chopped up. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, like, it's just things like that, which look, like, they just like cool details and it's, mm-hmm. and it's just like interesting to watch. Yep. Um, is there any other fun facts before we get deep down into the plot, sir? Fun facts. I mean, uh, no, I think, it, I don't know. Anything will come up during the plot probably. All right. We're starting us off, Brandon, to the Martian. The Martian. So yeah, S- starts off with them. On Mars. Ah! Surprise, no. <laughs> yeah, so just they're, they have this team on Mars of um, there's there like I don't know they're there to collect samples or something just to test out like their habitats and stuff, you know. Yeah. Just general stuff, and then they get put into a bit of trouble. There's like a storm coming by, and they're like, "Oh, we got to get out of here." Apparently, that's. The one thing the author said is not the most accurate thing, because, like, realistically, they said due to the air pressure on Mars being so low, like, even a heavy storm, quote unquote, was only be like equivalent to like, he said, like a light breeze messing up your hair on Earth. Yeah, I guess that can make sense because it's like, yeah, dust gets blown around, but it's not like a sandstorm here in the desert where like you get friggin like battered. Yeah. Or like you could like can literally knock over like a spaceship, even though the gravity is lower, right? Mm. So it's not like that was probably the most like one of the most inaccurate oh. things they had, but it does serve a purpose. And well, the depiction of Mars makes it seem like it's like just like oh, for you anime fans out there, it looks like the final five minutes of like Planet Namek. <laughs> like, like you see tornadoes happening. Like and whatnot. That apparently is accurate, actually. So, so if it's a light breeze, how? Like, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it can still blow like dust around. Like it's not like, but a human weighs more than like some dust. Like, what are you talking about? Okay, well, fine, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, no. Apparently, that is accurate. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, they they get through the storm and they're like, okay, we gotta go. And then uh, Matt Damon's character, Mark Watney. I forget what he's saying. It's like, oh, we could do this and that to like save this. And then the fucking antenna breaks off and like smacks him and like knocks him like into the storm. Yeah. So everyone's like, oh, we got to go save him. It's like these things depressurizing. So he survives like one minute, which apparently is. I'm going to mention how often this film actually does get a lot of things fairly accurate. I would have thought he would die instantly. Instantly. No, that's not true. I once again I did look this up in the trivia. Apparently that is accurate. You don't 
It's not like a what people think. You don't just like explode or something. It's just like a healthy human body can apparently survive like a minute in like space without like dying. Mm. So like even if you just like went into space, like it would just like you got let into space, you can probably survive like for a minute before like you start to die. Like and even then, it's not like you explode. It's like you just get like dizziness and like suffocate and blackout essentially, right? Mm. Before any of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. happen this is basically you just like shut down right mm. so that is realistic when they said you have like a minute so mm-hmm. so yeah they're like okay well, let's go save them but then it's like oh we can't because of their launch or their ship is tipping over right slowly so it's yeah like, okay we only got so much time and they don't even know like again the the debris that hit him like the satellite it just like flew him yeah they don't know where he is exactly and it's like a huge they can't see anything so exactly so they make the hard decision to like leave him behind, right? Mm-hmm. They don't like, which like, it seems like kind of like heartless on paper, but like it's either like they all die or it's just like the one guy who may have died already. Yeah. Just, they leave him. So they, yeah, like, it's a tough call, but at the end of the day, like the smart thing is to just move on. Yeah. I think the one guy said is like, yeah, my best friend, one of my best friends just died. I don't want to lose my commander as well. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's fair, you know? It's just sort of, this is how it is. And it's like, NASA is technically like, it's federally funded. And I think it's also technically a military organization in mm-hmm. a way. So it's like, they're, they're sort of like the chain of command, right? They have to yeah, respect it and they can't dislike, and they have to make decisions like that where they just leave people behind. Anyway, I'm getting too sidetracked on this one point. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> so they leave them behind and they're like, okay, we're going. And then... They, they didn't do a big press conference back on Earth. Like, oh, yeah, five of them came back, but this one guy died. <laughs> I, think I he- like the way he, Jeff Daniels' character, like, says it. Like, yeah, they're all good, but, you know, yeah, Mark, he's dead. <laughs> it's like, what? Mark Wani <laughs> is dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, is that how you talk? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, man. How would you say it? No, I, I don't know. You just, like, not, like, Oh, abort- this man has perished, uh, unfortunately. Like, you just getting to the point. Like, yeah, he's dead. Yeah, but it's like, I guess that shows, like, to his character that, like, well, you see throughout the movie, he's very technical. Yeah. Like, he's very just, like, he has emotion, obviously, but it's not, like, like, out there. He's very, like, again, he is the president of NASA, he has to be the guy to make insanely terrible. He's the director call. of it. So. Sorry, director. Yeah. So basically, like anything goes wrong, it's all on him, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, to, we'll get to that one point later. But yeah, it's uh so they like they hold a funeral for him and everything on Earth. And then it turns out he didn't die, just like apparently the one of the antennas like pierced his suit and like broke his uh sensor so it caused it to seem like he was like he was like his entire suit like was decompressing right yeah so his suit wasn't actually decompressing it was just like it pierced his thing it did wound him seriously and so it's like he had mm-hmm. to i like this like i said the attention to detail where he gets like stuck to the thing instead of like most movies it's like oh yeah just take it out like yeah because if he did that he'd fucking die because then the suit would just like a big hole in it right yeah and I think we were saying you were asking about the at one point the what how he's a the temperature on Mars. The average temperature on Mars is minus sixty three degrees Celsius. Yeah, we were just having a casual talk about it. Just like I was just curious, and then you searched it up, and I was like, "Damn, man, that's they ridiculous. do say they do say in the summer 
time of Mars, it can go up to 20 degrees Celsius, which is reasonable. Yeah. But like if an average temperature is minus 63, more often than not, it's going to be really <laughs> cold. Yeah. Even on like whenever the sun is out. Also, since like Mars has like no atmosphere, essentially in comparison to Earth, like there's a lot of just radiation on it. So, mm. so yeah, basically he has to just walk around with this spike in his stomach mm-hmm. until he gets back to the habitat. Mm-hmm. Which he gets and he takes it out and he has this whole dramatic scene of him pulling it out and which I said might have been an excuse to have Matt Damon with his shirt off. Look, man, there's other scenes in the movie that show Matt Damon without a shirt on. Okay, I think it. Yeah, I think it's more just to show as a, his progression and like his <laughs> his build as the film goes on. Really, so you know, yeah. you got to establish what he looks like initially with the shirt off. And yeah. then later when he has the shirt off again and he loses all the weight, you'd be like, oh, shit, like this man lost a shit ton of weight. Yeah. Because if you just see him like a spacesuit the whole time, you can't really tell what's going on, right? Yeah, exactly. So there is an actual purpose. It's not just fan service. This isn't like uh, <laughs> like fucking uh, True Blood or Vampire Diaries or something where they just take off their shirts randomly. Twilight. Or Twilight. Mm-hmm. They're really sparkly vampires. Look, man, it was when Taylor Lautner took off his shirt in New Moon that all the girls went crazy. Okay, look, I never. Watched. I was in that theater. Okay, look, I never watched no Twilight. I only <laughs> all I heard it was like, oh! <laughs> died on the spot. Yeah, yeah. I never watched no Twilight. So, well, we, we we're gonna start now. Look, <clears throat> one thing I want to ask about Twilight is people realize pornography exists on the internet, right? For free. Yeah. You don't have to go to a movie theater to look for it, right? <laughs> you can just go online and find whatever you want. Some people are not that cultured, Brandon. Okay. They don't want to go search up the sauce. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's also some sort of weird... I think this happens with a lot of guys as well. It's just like there's a stigma of like you need to obtain something you can obtain. So if you see like a girl who's like attractive, but they don't ever like show anything. You're like, oh, I want to see that. But when they do, you're like, I'm I'm over it now. (laughs) Anyway, uh, therapy sessions with Brandon, folks. Anyway, so he starts talking about like, okay, I have this many. They use the term souls, which is um, the, they use that term because the days on Mars are technically longer than Earth. Mm. I think I read it's around 24 hours, 11 minutes longer than Earth or not longer. 24 minutes, 11, 24 hours, 11 minutes in length for one day. So it's slightly longer than Earth. Oh, okay. So it's not. It's not, like, wildly different that you can't adjust. Like, I think it said, like, you can't adjust to that time difference. Yeah, it's just 11 minutes. I think they said humans can adjust, like, within, like, 30 minutes of, like, a 24-hour cycle, roughly. Mm-hmm. So, to, so say, yeah, they say souls just to be accurate because yeah. it's not, like, the same as an Earth day. Yeah, that makes sense because I was, like, always curious to know what, like, souls meant. I, I mean, I understood it. Like, that's the thing. All the scientific stuff in this film doesn't seem so crazy that you can't understand it. It's not like you're listening to, like, sci-fi, like, jargon. Yeah, I think it. I think at one point they actually did that, like, really blatantly where they're, like, talking about, like, Kristen, uh, not Kristen Wiig. Mm-hmm. Or is it Kristen Wiig? Yes. Yeah, she's talking about, like, coding, right? And then the one guy's like, yeah, in English, please. I'm like, she didn't really say anything that technical, I thought. He's just talking about, like, oh, we got to climb over the code and all this. I'm like, that wasn't that 
technical. So. No, it wasn't a question of like, sorry, this is the... the oh, Kate Mara. Yeah, Kate Mara. I was going to say Rooney Mara for some reason. <laughs> Kate Mara, yes. Yeah, okay, yeah, it was Kate Mara. I was like, it's not Kristen Wiig. Yeah, it was Kate Mara. I was just like talking about code, right? And then fucking... What's this guy? Michael Peno. Michael Peno is like in English, please. I'm like, yeah. First of all, you're like, aren't you a scientist as well? Like, he's she was a military guy. Yeah, but this is <laughs> he can fly the plane. That's all he cares. <laughs> yeah, but like none of the stuff she was saying was that complicated. But I'm like, I guess I gotta really make it sure that no one's like getting beaten over the head with technical jargon. This exactly. Film. Which is fine. Well, know? even with the Donald Glover parts, like again, like because he's such a charismatic actor, and like the way that he shows what they're gonna do like what he what they should do for like the pl- like for the plan no like it's understandable enough to like has an audience member you're not like what yeah exactly so yeah it's pretty good and they don't go too much in like technical stuff because it's not like they're they are try- a technical movie i mean it is in a way but it's like they don't like they don't like beat you over the head with it, right? Yeah. It's not like they're like, well, you know, if they're doing this and that, you know, it's like, uh, I can't think of a film that was like that. that they really like, like a very technical movie. Like, like it's just way too technical for like good. Look, into, oh, Interstellar. Interstellar like, was a little technical. Yeah. But, but it wasn't like so. But that was, like, also theoretical, like, physics they're talking about. Exactly. So I don't mind it in a movie like that because, to me, I'm prepared. Like, if I go to a Nolan film, I already know I got to be prepared, like, mentally to see what I'm about to hear or see what I'm about to see and hear what I got to hear. So, like, for The Martian, like, with the way that they present the movie to us, yeah. Again, it's easier. Yeah, it's easier. It's not so dumbed down. It's not like the the one point twenty one gigawatts from Back to the Future, which is or just like complete nonsense. Yeah, exactly. It's like built based on something, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, as, uh, they're talking about. He's just talking to himself. He's making these logs, being like, <laughs> "This is also where he gets the time to crack all his jokes." You know, mm-hmm. talking about like how bad his commander's taste in music is, mm-hmm. and how like. He's like, oh, I'm a botanist, you know? Well, actually, him being a botanist is actually what uh, kept him alive, which is hilarious because prior to that, like, the banter they were making with, like, with Mark Wani and the crew is that you're a botanist. Like, <laughs> you're not nece- you're not needed. Like, you're, <laughs> you're a botanist going into uh, a planet that doesn't build any, like, that can't grow anything. Can't grow any life, yeah. <laughs> so what are you doing here? <laughs> Yeah, so after a while, he's, like, figuring out, like, his, like, meal plans. He's like, oh, I got this much plans. If I ration, I can, you know, survive this long. Yeah. So I got to either figure out something to do or I'm going to starve to death. So, Mm -hmm. which, as we said, is kind of a miserable way to die. Yeah, no, seriously. Uh, I can't think of it another way of like dying that like sucks harder. Is well, I mean, I'm dying sure, of starvation. I'm sure dying of like terminal illness is also pretty bad. I mean, yeah, that too. <laughs> Basically, any sort of like slow, painful death is really bad. Yeah, exactly. At that point, like I would just jump off the like state, like the house, and just die of like suffocation. Yeah, it's only a minute. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, so he figures out like as he's taking a dump, he's like, "Wait a second, 
Isn't that what all the best ideas happen in life? <laughs> Just toilet. taking a shit. Taking a shit, yeah. <laughs> that's, where I, that's where I used to get all my reading done. On the toilet. <laughs> the tanks book. <laughs> the tank book. <laughs> okay, we're not talking. Look, it's an inside joke, sorry guys. <laughs> talking about the tanks book. Let's just say we used to have an extensive collection of books in my bathroom. Yes, yes. Which a lot of people seem to compliment me on one particular book. So <laughs> it was the book of tanks. <laughs> Look, it's nowadays people got the phone, but back in the day, you had to have the books. Well, Brandon, I do appreciate that you still do you still have the books out there? No, you don't anymore. No, I don't. We took them out. Why? Who knows? <laughs> That's People, some people find disgusting having a book in your bathroom, but you know what? I don't care. Well, a lot of things happen in books, man. Like in the washroom when you read a book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in this case, he figures out that using his own feces, we shall say, that he can uh, use it as fertilizer to grow potatoes, which they had stored or vacuum packed. Like they had potatoes packed away for. I guess, mm-hmm. I don't know, food supplies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, Thanksgiving. They were going to save it for Thanksgiving. It's yeah. Could, tape. They're vacuum packing. They have like actual fresh food instead of like dried food or like prepackaged stuff. Yeah. So it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to use my bot. He said my botany powers. Mars will fear my botany powers. Yeah. And he's like, so he starts growing these potatoes and he's like... <laughs> That takes to the point where he's like, I got to figure out how to like produce enough water, right? Yeah. So he's like, yeah, nothing's flammable except like this stuff. So he makes the fire and he's just like, yeah, and just explodes. Yeah. And, like, wouldn't it be funny that his end of the movie right there, he just blows up and dies. <laughs> Roll credits. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, I actually like that scene a lot because like, again, like I like the fact that he's solving all these issues that uh, in all honesty, if I was stuck in Mars, I'll die already. Like in day, like five <laughs> okay well like astronauts are like a little more qualified than the regular person to do these kinds of things. exactly so it just puts into like again it's like oh this guy's so fucking talented because he's like i don't know he's making it work <laughs> well, i think i read in the book he apparently had two masters he had a master's in botany and he had a master's in mechanical engineering in this film he just has a phd in botany even though he knows like mechanical engineering stuff as well but mm-hmm. So it's like, if you ever know anything about astronauts, all really fucking smart. Like, yeah, they all have like at least a PhD and or a master's in something. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're all really smart people. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's him doing this stuff like and solving these problems the way he does isn't unbelievable at all. No, no, of course not. So it's like he understands how things work. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I said before, that's sort of what like keeps you engaged in the film is just like the constant solving of like various issues as they come up rather than like he's like, I got to survive on Mars. And then like that's the whole film for like three hours. Right. Yeah. Like three hours of him growing potatoes or something. Right. It's like he figures out one thing and moves to the next. Well, you could say, okay, well, there could be a complaint that because he's so qualified to obviously like live in a deserted planet that like it's different from like a movie like Castaway, where like what what what's Tom Hanks a FedEx like postman or some shit like yeah. that, and then like being deserted in an island, like probably not learning any of these like like s- 
not social skills, like outdoor skills and like learning how to survive that it puts like a character like him in more of a dire situation that us as the audience can look on and like really like root for him from whenever he like survives longer than he should. Yeah, there's more of a struggle is what you're saying. Yeah. And that Mark Watney, because he's so qualified, clearly, that it isn't like, oh, like, where's the, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Where's the tension? It was the tension. But I still think that this movie still creates enough tension. Again, he's trapped in a deserted damn planet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, think about that. I think the tension itself is not so much from him, like, trying to survive or get food. It's more just the overarching, like, tension of him, like, having to eventually try and get back to Earth. Mm. right yeah. like that that's the end goal like this is all just a means to an end right like yeah. he's solving these problems so he can eventually yeah. hopefully communicate mm. with his with nasa and get back home right yeah and i think at one point this is he's discovering this he's like okay if i actually want to get back to earth mm-hmm. the next mission is planned at this time at this spot so i have to figure out a way to get there and not die right yeah because it's like, I have to go on this like, rover and has limited oxygen, limited food. And we're talking about, like, he's trying to, like, he's like, yeah, I can run out of the heater and, like, freezing to death. Because mm-hmm. you're like, how cold is it? And, like, yeah, it's fucking, you're, like, minus 20. And he looks it up and it's like, yeah, it's, like, minus, like, 60. <laughs> yeah, it's all totally wrong with that assessment. You're probably, like, minus 20 in the fucking vehicle, like, outside. Yeah, yeah. So he's, like, literally true. freezing to death. Like, mm-hmm. So he's like, okay, I can't do that. He comes up with the plan to dig up a radioactive isotope that they have and then use it as a heater, mm-hmm. which apparently it, the, the real danger from it is not the radiation. Apparently, it's just the extreme heat it generates. Yeah, which makes sense because in that scene where he is, uh, uh, it's funny enough, the music plays a lot of part with uh, with the movie. Not to get sidetracked too hard, but like, yeah, the music really like blends well with what's going on yeah i mean really scott likes to at least in this film he likes to be really on the nose with the, the music choices right? yeah freaking where he's playing hot stuff yeah i i don't know who i'm saying that song whatever the disco people <laughs> would know the disco people. <laughs> yeah so it's like yeah he does that at one point he's like playing Starman when he's like going to space yeah and i think at the end he plays uh i will survive yeah it has a line, now you're back from outer space. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, bro, like it's a little on the nose. Yeah, it works. And it's funny because it's on it's on the theme of like uh, the uh, Jessica Chastain's character for liking disco mu- uh, music, which uh, Mark likes to like be like, oh, like, why can you not play more? Like, why can you not have more like recent current music? Yeah, he's like, can you pick a song from this century? Like, yeah. And it's like, I, I just like a side note. I feel like this film is not made <laughs> for young people. I feel like it's made for like an older crowd specifically. Yeah. Okay. Like, you can say something like that. Yeah. Like with the, with the amount of references made to like sort of like seventies, eighties, nineties culture, even mm-hmm. like, I think at one point he's going through people's stuff and he finds someone's laptop and she says he has the games like, leather goddesses of phobos and something else but they're like old 1980s like text adventure games yeah which i don't even know anyone just listening knows what a text adventure game is anymore yeah 
it was basically just like a game where it's like you literally they describe what's happening to you on the screen and then you type in what you want to do. It's like a choose your own adventure book, essentially, but mm-hmm. on a computer, mm-hmm. which is like. But it makes me think about like a Black Mirror episode called Bandersnatch that has deals with almost the same thing. Yeah, but that was like visual, right? This was like only text. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's mostly only text. And then occasionally they show you like a low resolution, like image of like, I don't know, whatever the is going on. Mm-hmm. So it's like I had played a few of those back in the day on the MS DOS. Uh, MS DOS. <laughs> Floppy disk. Is this the second reference we're making with DOS? Yeah, DOS. <laughs> it's Ridley Scott again. Blame him. He likes DOS, man. What do you the man just can't let go. It's been it's been 30 years, Ridley Scott. I mean, hey, man, his recent Marvel comments make sense, I guess. Can't just let go of the new generation. Exactly. Old man screaming at the skies. So where were we? We got sidetracked a little bit. Sorry, audience. (laughs) Yeah, if you're not used to that by now, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, he's just trying to figure out how to get to this thing. So he eventually is trying to find a way to transmit messages, but... So I think at this point, this is where they start to, they go back to Earth, like, and see, like, uh, one of the, um, I don't know what, she, what her position is in this thing. One of the people working at NASA notices, like, in the satellite images that there's movement yeah. at the base. And she's like, oh, is that him, right? So they go and they're like, oh, yeah, are you sure that that's him? And it's like, yeah, you see the dust is cleaned off and, like, the rover's moved. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, shit, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, we just told everyone he's dead. Yeah. And now we got to like release these images publicly because like they're a publicly funded. They're like for the public. So they have to be transparent. So like we'll release the images like, okay, we'll just tell everyone because if anyone works it out, it's going to look really bad Mm -hmm. that we didn't say anything Mm because either it looks like we're trying to cover it up or. You know, like we're stupid. We didn't notice this. So, <laughs> yeah. So both are bad situations. They're like, okay, we'll just admit we made a mistake, right? Yeah. As best they can, right? Well, I mean, like, how's that hard to, like, believe if you're NASA? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't understand, like, why the public would be so against them. But um, whatever media. I, mean, I don't know. It looks any, like- everybody could attack, like, a big organization, I guess. Well, it's almost like people are going to be like, well, it looks like they just abandoned him and left him for dead. You know, they didn't even try and find him, right? It looks mm-hmm. bad, right? Yeah. So it's like, it well, looks bad. I guess because they don't really understand how, like, in the, in, as the audience member, you understand how difficult it is for them to be like, oh, just go up on the ship and then, oh, just come back and check for his dead body. That does not how it works. Yeah, but it's like, <clears throat> it's the public's perception of it. I get it. Yeah, it's yeah. the court of public opinion, which is a, a common criticism of NASA. So they get. Mm-hmm. I think they said like often it's like, yeah, as soon as one thing goes wrong, like all of a sudden everyone forgets everything we've ever done, which is true. You know, people yeah. focus on the negatives a lot more. So I think it's I think the one scene line he said where he's like, the interviewer is like, oh, you're going to resign. He's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, bro, why is he going to resign? Like, I know. Right. Because like, it's not his fault. Like, right. Like, it's just like one thing. Goes, yeah. Once again, he's the director. So everything bad happens. He has to take responsibility for yeah, pretty much. So they're like, ah, oh, shit. Like, what do we do now? Like, how are we supposed to help this guy, right? Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, they're trying to come up with plans to send him, like, supplies so he can survive until the next, like, mission. Yeah. 
this is Aries four or something. This is the missions are called Aries missions. Mm-hmm. Which fun fact, Aries is the Greek name of the god of war, and Mars is the Roman ga- name of the god of war. So it's funny. Yeah. Her- <laughs> Good reference. Yeah, Hermes. The name of the ship is the messenger god of Ro- Greek. Mm. Of Greek of Greece. <laughs> of Greek. Yes, Greek. Of all Hermes Greek. of Greek. <laughs> of all Greek. <laughs> so they're dealing with that. And in the meantime, they're just like, okay. Mark's up there, like, okay, I gotta figure out like how I'm gonna get to this thing, right? And he notices like he's trying to get in contact with them as well. So he notices on the map there's like a position, he's like, I'm gonna go somewhere, right? And then this is also kind of a stupid part. They're like, they see him moving on the, the satellite and just like, oh, where is he going? Give me a map. <laughs> they go, to, they don't have a map apparently anywhere in yeah. the, on their computers. They have to go to a random cafeteria in NASA and like pull a picture off a wall yeah. of like Mars' surface to like map it out. And I was like, where are your maps? Like, yeah, like you're literally looking through a satellite. Just use that to see. Also, it's it's like one like long picture, like or like a portrait of like Mars, and I'm like, buddy, like that doesn't even cover the entire damn planet. Like, how the hell do you guys know exactly? He knows. He's a scientist. Yeah, <laughs> trust me, I'm a doctor. <laughs> so yeah, it's like they go, they they figure out he's eventually going to go find the old um, Pathfinder rover from if anyone knows about pathfinder is like basically the initial mars exploration vehicle which they all didn't expect to last very long the reason being was um many reason we mentioned earlier that the sand from mars would cover the solar panels and eventually lose power mm. but uh um, that's why they brought it up right yeah but it has actually lasted 14 <laughs> years so the reason being they thought was, as you saw, the tornadoes are, as they're called, dust devils. Mm-hmm. Just sort of like blew the sand off the solar panels and kept it working. So, mm. so yeah, that's, it worked out for them. So, and it worked out for him in this movie. So, yeah, exactly. So they figured he go. so the main, uh, I guess, I don't know what his position is. Vincent Kapoor. Oh, he's the, he's not the director, but he's like the director of like exploration. Yeah, he's essentially like in charge of the missions. Right? Yeah. So he's like, he figures out he's going to go visit the old Pathfinder. So they go to the old team and say like, oh, yeah, does the old like communications work? Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, it still works. Right. Mm-hmm. So they figure that he's going there. So Mark sets up a sign to communicate, but like, can you read me? Yes, no. And they can they can answer by turning the camera. But like they say, it's like super inefficient because it takes like 30 minutes to get like a signal. Yeah, it makes sense. Which, you know, it's just how physics works you know radio frequencies don't transmit that fast right no so even even here it's like it takes a little bit of time so yeah. from here to like mars is like way fucking far <laughs> yeah, exactly so yeah it's like okay we got to come up with another system so he uses um hexadecimal. hexadecimal which is a i believe a coding language mm-hmm. which uses as it says it uses a series of like up to six you know, numbers to represent different things. So now, I, I, this is the only part I feel like I get confused. I, like, yeah, I, I was, don't I was reading that. like, um, Ridley Scott said he also found it like really difficult to like understand hexadecimal. So, like, yeah. because they had to come up with like a solution, but he's like, yeah, hexadecimal is like, it's not something the average person would know. No. And it's like not easy to explain either. No. 
Yeah, I mean the movie tries its best to explain it as much. Well, you kind of get you get the idea. It's essentially just like a code, right? Exactly. They don't spend too long on it. It's the same as like saying like, "Oh, we're going to use like Morse or something," right? Yeah, but I feel like Morse code now it's like more prevalent nowadays. I guess thanks to Stranger Things. (laughs) Yeah, Morse. But it's easier for I think people to understand because they you know just see that like the like just tapping. Yeah, like it makes sense somehow. <laughs> yeah, but it would like be way worse to do it in a situation because like Morse code's like it takes super long to write anything, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this, you can just use like a couple numbers to represent like different word letters, right? Yeah. So yeah, this is probably the most technical scene, honestly. That was pretty much, and it gets dismissed immediately because after they uh, teach uh, Mark how to like hack the rover that he's in his vehicle. To um, basically, so they can talk now, like actually with a keyboard and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, they're just talking. He's like, obviously glad to be able to talk to another human being. You know? Yeah. And he's just like, it's the first thing he asks is like, oh, yeah, how did the crew find out? And they're like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. And they're like, okay, well, we got to tell him, right? So mm-hmm. they tell him and he, he doesn't take it very well. No, of course not. Which understandable. Yeah. I think I think it's like yeah, and the thing is, there's also being apparently broadcast like TV. Yeah. So it's like yeah, you gotta watch your language. This is being broadcast. It's like oh yeah, really? <laughs> so, What's going on? So he says something. We don't know what he says. It's probably something fucking really rude. So yeah, they were really like okay. I know this movie is like a PG thirteen movie, but like they were really like avoiding any like sort of like big swear words and whatnot. Yeah, even when the guy's just talking to him, he's like, yeah, f word, f word. I'm like, bro, like you're all adults. Like you can say fuck. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> like Jesus, man. Like it's fine. Like it's, you're all adults. <laughs> we get the, it. <laughs> you're all adults in the room here. Like no, it's not like you have to censor yourselves. Hell, I mean, PG thirteen movies are allowed to like drop one f bomb. Yeah. So, yeah. Fun fact of MPAA stuff: it's okay to drop an f bomb only once in PG thirteen movies. Yes. And you can kill people, but no blood. Yes. <laughs> kill people, but no blood. Yeah. You can kill like tens of thousands of people, but as, as long as there's blood shown, it's not an eighteen A movie. Or if there's a, a boob shown, it's immediately rated R. I always found that weird. Like, this is a sidetrack of, like, films in general. It's like, why is it like you show, like, one boob or, like, one penis? It's like, oh, this isn't, like, an X-rated film. Mm-hmm. But it's like you see, like, a man, like, disembowel, like, 50 people. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's not so bad. So it's like, what? No, it, 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 it literally does not make sense. I was like, that's way worse. Like, Jesus Christ. It, it does not make sense. NPA does not make sense and it's stupid yeah violence apparently is a lot easier to take than you know any nudity at all yeah pretty much you know things that like people literally see every day like yeah. on their own bodies yeah butt shots are allowed only on men though i don't think butt shots are allowed for females but he's a prosthetic butt <laughs> you still get copper in so look Bottom line, MPA is stupid. That's it. <laughs> it's a little outdated, to say the least. Yeah, they really are. They're like they're like eighty old people down there. Yeah, I mean, it's better than when we're talking about Psycho, or you know, apparently it's a big thing. They showed a uh, toilet flushing on the screen. It's yeah. like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> but yeah, so it's just, uh, yeah, so he goes off on them, and he's obviously upset. And they're like, okay, well, we got to tell the crew now. You know, we should have done it before. So they tell the crew. 
and naturally they're like, ah, oh, shit, like, it felt bad. So I don't like that scene, for, personally. Why? Maybe I was expecting a little bit more dramatic aff- affair, because they, they've been, like, talking about, like, telling the crew for, like, other scenes. So the fact that it just comes off very, like, you know, their reactions are not insanely... Thing. I like to believe it's just because like they're like astronauts and they're they're trained to you know not overreact yeah, and be are. emotional. Yeah. That the scene doesn't really show too much. Like, damn! Like the only one showing emotion is uh, Jessica Chastain, you know, which is weird because she's supposed to be the captain. Who knows? Maybe they're in shock. You know, people react differently to things. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe off screen they're like all cried. Who knows? Yeah, that's like I guess the only complaint I can say is that I didn't get enough of the main crew with Mark Watney. Like I, I, I wanted to get a little bit more. You know, like interaction with him. Yeah, or well, interaction with him, but also like interaction between the the crew together, like a good talk, where like they're about to do this. Like, how are they really feeling about it? Yeah, I guess, but it's like. <laughs> It's a two hour and 25 minute movie. I feel like you could put another five minutes in it. It's already a long movie. Might as well make it longer, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. So they reveal it to the crew and they're like, okay, that's good to know. So they, they, they start talking to him. So I'm going to have to pull up my notes here on that. Because <laughs> yeah. it's a long film. It's hard to remember the exact details exactly. of everything that happened. So. Were you writing notes when you were making, like, watching the movie? No, not uh. at all. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally just looking up the plot. So. <laughs> We're pulling a Eugene. Yeah, bring out the notes. Yeah. <laughs> so no, they just they start talking to him, and they're like, eh, "It's good to see. It's good to talk to you." And then apparently, the trivia for this was um, when Mark, uh, Matt Mark, Matt Damon was actually uh, was actually crying. That it was a genuine reaction he had to that scene. That uh, they only did one take for it, like when he was like breaking down in tears talking to them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that was like that was real. He actually broke down in tears because after they finished filming the scenes, like did all of like his solo scenes like on his own. Like so, they filmed all the scenes they had together, and then they did all the solo scenes after. Mm. And apparently, he hadn't seen them in like five months at that point. Mm. And he was just thinking, like, as his character hasn't, it's been like two years or something, or hasn't seen these people in so long, right? Mm-hmm. It just like it like got to him, right? So they only did one shot of it, and that's the shot in the film of him like crying. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah. I mean, hey man, honestly, as much as like Matt Damon, like no nobody talks about Matt Damon's acting skills. I always feel like you know, you see Matt Damon on screen and it's just Matt Damon. Right? Yeah. But I honestly think he did a really good job in this role. No, he did. He it's did. one of his best, better acting performances. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a good one. He does a good job because it's like he doesn't really have anything to interact with except himself, mostly. So, mm-hmm. so it's just like you get to see more into Matt Damon. It's also because it's like it wasn't solely focused on Matt Damon that the, it allowed him to like shine a bit more in the scene. So it didn't you didn't get like worn down. Mm-hmm. That's true. Like it's not like it's hard to make a film where it's like a one person perspective and then like they're in every scene like. Yeah, like and Cast that, Away, Buried for like Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, Buried, like Whiplash, and Joker's an example of that, you know, mm. of a man. You have to see like his full range of like 
acting in that, but mm-hmm. it's not easy to do something, especially a film this long. So no, no, you gotta have uh, a plus talent working with it, and I honestly believe that Matt Damon is an A plus talent. Matt Damon, Matt Damon, best <laughs> actor in the world, <laughs> confirmed. Well, Team America reference for anyone who knows. I'll love to talk about Team America one day. Just saying. Side note. <laughs> Yeah, so after that, they start talking, like, okay, we got this all planned out, and, you know, the classic movie trope, it'll be fine as long as nothing goes wrong. Immediately, <laughs> immediately goes bad. <laughs> immediately, like, everything blows up, like, literally. Yeah. Like, a man just goes into the airlock, and it literally explodes. Like, Yeah, honestly, I, I like to call, like, that's, like, the best jump scare in this whole movie, because you, you don't really see it coming, coming. But, like, I mean, after that, like, oh, yeah, I was hoping nothing goes wrong. You're expecting it, but you don't think the whole goddamn thing is going to explode. Well, like, he goes into the thing, right? And, like, you hear the, uh, the sirens going, and I think, oh, shit, and, like, what happened, right? And mm-hmm. it's just, like, you see the pressure, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he, like, flies out, like, I'm like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it's, like, in spectacular fashion, too, man. It's like, holy crap. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, it was literally blew up. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. That doesn't work out from so and it's <laughs> this is where they cut his like helmet gets cracked and this is where we reveal man's truly greatest invention duct tape can, yeah. solve, can solve everything <laughs> yeah you have a broken thing in your, your sorry helmet and your um space uh, your pressure is driving off but duct tape fixed <laughs> yeah see it's all that adhesive on duct tape is ridiculous <laughs> yeah so the main the main downside to this was it blew open the spot where he's growing all his crops mm-hmm. and it killed them all. So yeah. So he has no more crops. He has no more potatoes that he was farming, which I didn't mention before, but he was farming potatoes. Yes. Well yeah, you did. I said yeah, he said he was gonna do something with Bonnie. I didn't say he was farming potatoes, but he was farming potatoes on his own stool. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Apparently he made a that was a real potato farm too that they had growing. So Oh really? That's crazy. <laughs> The Ridley Scott attention detail grows on an actual potato farm <laughs> on, on set. It's like, we can just CG, no, real, okay. <laughs> real potato farm. <laughs> like, Get a real botanist out here. <laughs> Get it done. Yeah, so he's like, ah, shit. So, this is like, so he communicates like, yeah, you know, things went bad. And they're like, oh, crap, now we have less time. So we got to speed everything up. Mm-hmm. So he once again duct tapes like the broken part of this thing shut. Mm-hmm. And it's like he's trying to figure out like, okay, I got to survive this long. You put like a tarp or something like that. They put like a, a tarp over it and like duct tape it to the thing. And <laughs> Mixed. It, it's a little terrifying because you can hear it like blowing around. And it's like, ah, shit. Yeah, like that. Like, I mean, like you can see him like trying to count whatever he's grown. or And then uh, you can see like the the tension he's having with himself just imagine hearing all that noise and it's just like one thing one thing just popping over the tarp he's dead in an instant yeah. or like in a minute but still yeah so it's like so he's like a little stressed out yeah <laughs> meanwhile back they're like okay we got to speed up the plans right so they come up with this plan to send the space probe and they they're like, okay, how are we going to speed up? Like, okay, we're just not going to do any of the inspections, right? We're just going to bypass the inspections, you know, and just gamble. It's going to work, right? The inspections only took three days to do, right? They said it took uh, 10 days. 10 days? Fuck, man, it's 10 days, dude. It's like, 
Well, I mean, they it's ten days to launch to inspect it, and they still got to launch the thing to Mars. Like, mm-hmm. so it's like ten days plus on top of the two hundred days it takes to get to Mars. So yeah, but it's like at that at the grand scheme of things, ten days is okay. The man doesn't have food. <laughs> I know, but like they survive, man. They they went through the calculations. They said it wouldn't work. It'd be too long. You wouldn't be able to survive that long. Whatever. So anyway, the guy's like, yeah, do without the inspection. So they go to launch it. And then people have a habit of cheering way too much too soon. <laughs> yeah. They like they launch it and it's like up in the air and they're like, yeah. And then it's like, oh shit, what's happening? And then like blows up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. So it didn't work out. And then this was one scene was a little annoying because they switched to the Chinese. Oh, yeah. So I my uh, the way I had it, I didn't have it hard coded subs. I'm sorry. So like I had to look up what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> I'm like, what is this going on? Like just, actually pull up the screenplay. I'm looking dying. The ch- <laughs> random Chinese people talking about something or other. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they apparently have like. One of the secretaries like, oh, yeah, why didn't they just ask us for help? It's like, yeah, they don't know about our secret technology, the, the, the whatever booster. The the sun, it's it's translated to like the sun god. Yeah. Shine Sheen or I don't want to be. Tai Yang or something. Tai Yang Shen. It's something, it's something in their language. We're not going to, we're not going to assume what it means. And they're like, oh, yeah, we should like. Like, we could help them, but then we have to reveal, like, our secret technology. And they're like, you know what? We're going to do it for, like, the good of humanity, I guess. I sure, whatever. I, I feel like that's all. Okay, because I'm such a Debbie Downer in life that I feel like that's the most unrealistic part of the whole movie. That people would cooperate to help people? Yeah, other governments want to help Americans? What? <laughs> yeah, so, so they get this boost and they're like, okay, we can use this to help, like, send the probe. And this is when uh, Donald Glover comes in. Mm-hmm. He's like talking about it. And it's like, yeah, he comes up with an idea. <laughs> a bit, one, it's a little more trivia. Apparently, a scene where he like gets up and like, I need more coffee. And he like slips. Yeah. Apparently, he just slipped. Yeah, I saw that. And they just, he kept acting. So they left it in the film. I mean, like, look, man, Donald Glover is a very uh, charismatic actor. Yeah. So- I, I, I don't think I've ever seen a mo- uh, show where he's not charismatic in a sense. Yeah, exactly. He's he's a good actor, so it worked out. So they come up with this idea. He comes up with this idea to like use the existing ship that's coming back to Earth to like slingshot around Earth mm-hmm. and like it, shoot them back towards Mars. So it take like less time than like having to send a whole other probe. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the director being the director. Oh yeah, they also mentioned this is the Council of Elrond when they're talking. Okay, about- so we didn't talk about Sean Bean in this. I'll set this up. Um, Sean Bean is a very popular actor who um, tends to die in a majority of his... uh, (laughs) He's famous for dying. He's famous for dying on screen. But he was in this little little movie called uh, Lord of the Rings. Not sure if you heard of it. I've never heard of that. No, no. It's just one ring to rule them all, so, right? Is that something related to the Rings of Power? <laughs> yeah, or the Ring. It's the sequel. Oh, it's the prequel to the Hobbit. Yeah. Oh, the yeah. Sequel to the yeah. Hobbit. Yeah, that's oh, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, little Frito. <laughs> Not Frodo. Frito. Frito. <laughs> Fredo. Fredo. Yeah. You betray me, Fredo. <laughs> 
it's what do I see? Frito and Frodo's hair. <laughs> Al Pacino's gonna come out here. <laughs> Al Pacino being Sauron. <laughs> you betrayed me, Fredo. I know it was you, Fredo. I know who it's you. I know it was you, Frodo. <laughs> okay. Sorry, sidetracked, but Sam sets him up. <laughs> Stop. Stop. <laughs> anyway, so um so he was in a little movie called Lord of the Rings. Uh he was um Boromir in that movie. Yes. And um the fact that they're mentioning uh, a pivotal scene in Lord of the Rings, the the fact that Sean Bean was in Lord of the Rings is pretty hilarious to me. Yeah, he's also the one who explains what the Council of Elrond is. Yeah, that's true. And he was on the he's in the Council of Elrond in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I love it. I love the little like I, I I said earlier that like the little like nerd references to stuff makes this movie feel more like understandable and relatable. But I felt like they had that scene just because they had Sean Bean. They were like, we got to use this. We have to. It's going to be hilarious. Yeah. I also like how every time they go over like nerd references and then explain them, everyone's like, yeah, you don't need to explain it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they're just like they're done with all these stupid nerd jokes. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. So he, they come up with a plan to bring the Hermes crew back. And of course, the director being like, the pe- like he wants to like, cover as many angles as possible. It's like, yeah, we can't do that because then we risk five more people dying. And I don't want to risk five more people dying. I mean, it makes sense, but like, I mean, in terms of like the greatest, like risk versus reward, like the, re- the reward is they go back and they save like one dude. Right. Yeah. The risk is five more people die. Yeah. The reward to do nothing is like five people guaranteed survive as opposed and one guy dies mm-hmm. probably. Yeah, I think they said like, yeah, they either have like a high chance of killing one person or a low chance of killing six people. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they're like, oh, we should ask the crew. Right. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. So but then uh, somehow they receive the information about the uh, the maneuver, the slingshot mm-hmm. maneuver <laughs> called the Purnell maneuver, which was his cat. Donald Glover's character and Richard Purnell. And they're like, who the hell is Purnell? <laughs> yeah. So they're like, they make the decision, like, okay, we're going to do this, right? Yeah. They're like, yeah, we're all in this together sort of thing. Yeah. And then the director, NASA, brings in uh, Sean Bean's character. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, they somehow found out. Wow, what a weird coincidence. You know? Yeah. They're like, there's their decision. And he's like, yeah, you know, you're going to have to resign after this, but we're going to do it because they're already doing it. So yeah, they can't do anything at this point. They control the ship. So exactly. And they overrid the manual can remote controls they had. Yeah, well, with the scene that you were mentioning that, like, it got technological and Michael Pena's character didn't understand. Basically, yeah, uh, Kate Mara's character is some sort of hacker who could just, like... Not a hacker. She just... What? She's, she knows how to go into code. Okay, going into code. She's a hacker. The <laughs> she, hacker man. Well, she has to... <laughs> the hacker man. The hacker man. Yep. We can black hat over here. <laughs> black hat. <laughs> That's a, not a good movie, though. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I watched it with a friend, and I kept saying hacked every time something happened. <laughs> the man got shot, and like, he got hacked. Bullets. <laughs> His life has been hacked. And that's an Oliver Stone movie. Jesus. 
Yeah, speaking of directors, we've had uh, some rough times. <laughs> yeah, Oliver Stone right there. <laughs> Oliver Stone kind of went really downhill. Yeah. Speaking of Al Pacino, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I forgot about Oliver Stone. That's how bad it's gotten. Yeah. GOK later, what happens? <laughs> so, yeah, no. So they all decide to go back. So they basically have a montage of just them, like, preparing everything, right? Yeah. Like, they send the boosters, and then, like, they have the music play. It's a literal montage. Yeah, literally. And then they just go, like, seven months later, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, you see Matt Damon's, like, pretty emaciated. He's, like, pretty fucking thin. Skinny, yeah. Which, like I said, that was the point of him, like, taking his shirt off, because he's, like, walking around naked, and he's like, looks like he's lost, like, 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. So he looks really... He looks like he's on the verge of dying. Yeah. Which makes sense because all he's he's been rationing like he has had like one potato a day mm-hmm. and like a small like tiny bar I think he had as well like a nutritional bar mm-hmm. or like part of a nutritional bar not even a full nutritional bar yeah so he's like they come up with this plan to like get him to go in the rover and they have like this I don't I didn't get the whole I don't know what the balloon thing on top of the rover is for for air or something. The balloon on top of the yeah, rover. like remember they were like testing out on Earth. They were like blowing up the balloon on top of the rover. I guess to store air or something, right? Oh yeah, yeah. as they're trying to solve the oxygen problem. Which, yeah. Once again, it was duct taped up. So <laughs> yeah, duct tape saves everybody, man. Yeah. So they have a plan. Like yeah, they got this oxygen, and he has like solar panels in there so he can recharge the thing. Mm-hmm. Drives for like the four hours something that he recharges, and he should get there in time. Mm-hmm. So. This leads to the final, one of the final problems is they need to be able to, like, get him up there, right? Yeah. But, like, if they want enough fuel to get the, like, main craft back to Earth is that, like, they, they can't get too close to the planet. Like, they can't go into the orbit of the planet. Because they get pulled by the gravitation. Yeah, and then they'd have to spend more fuel, and then there wouldn't enough fuel to get home. Yeah. So they're like, okay, well, like, how are we going to get him up there? It's like, okay, we got to remove all this weight from, the like, the spacecraft he's getting on. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he's talking about all this stuff, like remove the chairs, and he's like, move the backup comms. And he's like, yeah, what? You can't do without no backup comms. And he's like, yeah, we haven't gotten to the bad part yet. So like, yeah, we gotta remove the top of it and like the two like panels on the side. So it's like basically open the whole time. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're just gonna put a tarp over like the top of it. And the guy's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, yeah, that's what they had to do. Exactly. I think this one scene sort of illustrates um and just another quick attention to details, like the lower gravity on Earth, when like he's throwing stuff off, it sort of like floats down and like bounces slightly. Mm. Like it's not like on the moon where it's like woo, right? But it's yeah. like noticeably like lighter mm-hmm. looking. So I thought that like I thought that was always just really cool effect was this like when he throws like knocks something over, he throws something and just like sort of floats for a little bit and then like lands. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think about that scene like visually in my head. I don't see it, but well, I mean, if you just want an illustration, they said the top of the spacecraft weighed like 400 kilos, and he like pushed it off himself, right? So you mm. like that's fucking a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 400 kilos and pounds—that's like close to a thousand. That's ridiculous, man. It's like it's a ridiculous amount. Yeah, I think it is a thousand. Yeah, it's like yeah. 900. Like 880 pounds. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So, the spaceship arrives. Yeah. Uh, the Hermes arrives to pick him up. Uh, basically, uh, 
Mark Watney has to go like 12 G's. He has to go and he has to go into space with enough force to generate 12 G's, which not to get into much technical stuff, 12 G's is a lot. So like jets like can go up, get up to like nine, which is a lot still. Yeah. But like 12 is like insane. So mm-hmm. it's like 12 times Earth's gravity. So yeah, naturally he lo- they lo- also he has to be driven by the guy on the spit like Martinez, uh, mm-hmm. Michael Pena's character. Mm-hmm. So he has to like just basically be like shot in the space and like driven around with like no like fun. He has he just sits there. Yeah. So he shoots in the space and naturally he fucking passed out, right? Yeah. Cuz he's going so fucking fast. I think he said like yeah, that's how they convinced him they're like yeah, they say you can be go fast, the fastest man ever in space travel. And it's like, yeah, physicists don't use the word fast when they're describing things. <laughs> they just want it to sound cool. So they yeah. so they hope I don't notice how insane their plan is. Yeah, no, that's very true, man. Like, exactly. Imagine, like, you're going to be accelerating to 12 Gs. Like, what the fuck? But it's like, yeah, you'll be the fastest person ever. Oh, yo, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, I do like the sound of that. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound pretty cool. That'd be like a good like icebreaker to party. Like, yeah, I, I went the fastest man in the history of all space travel. You know, well, not only that, he's technically a pirate too. I forgot to mention that. Like, yeah, the whole he little, yeah, he gives a little little description that uh, based on like international water law, like international laws, maritime law. Yeah, he's basically a pirate because he, he's he's yeah he's commandeering a vehicle without permission. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like yep. He's a pirate. He's a space pirate. <laughs> yeah. bad I like how they reiterate the joke. It's like, yeah, technically under maritime. Like, yeah, he explained all that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, they they get they get they manage to get him to space, but like they're not close enough. So they got to figure out like, okay, <laughs> they come up with a plan. Like they come up with the Ridley Scott plan of like blowing up part of their ship essentially <laughs> to like to create enough acceleration to get there. <laughs> You mentioned this. I'm like, damn, is Ridley Scott blowing up another ship? <laughs> yeah, he's blowing up another ship, which looks strangely enough like the Nostromo. <laughs> it kind of does, doesn't it? Like, it's a similar design. Yeah. So he's like, yep, there's another Ridley Scott blowing up your ships again. Yeah, so they, and then they're like, okay, we need you to make a bomb, right? So they blow up part of the ship to get there and like, okay, we can get close, but now we need to slow down somehow. Yeah. So, like, I, was that the reason they blew up the ship was to slow down? I think that was, actually, yeah. They blew up the ship to slow down, and they, like, use their boosters to get closer, right? Yeah. So, yeah, they, they get close enough, but they're like, okay, we're still, like, 300 meters away, which is not close yeah. enough. And so, Mark Quanti already, like, in space, uh, has this brilliant idea to basically stab his palm with, like, the air compressor. And use it to like, glide over. Yeah, he's having a fly around like Iron Man. Yeah. It's funny, again, you're mentioning Iron Man in this conversation with like Sebastian Stan being the Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like in the same scene. Again, it's like a lot of funny references to stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's just to keep. I don't know if these are intentional references to the actors in the film or it's just like that's just how it happened. Because I think it may, it may, I don't know, I didn't read the this book, so maybe they made the references in the book as well, but who knows? Mm, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's just a coincidence that majority of these actors are working in Marvel movies now. 
Yeah, they did make references to a comic in the film because I was reading the trivia. Apparently, the author said he regrets they didn't put one line in the film where after they're like talking like early on, they find out he's alive, right? They're like, oh, what is he thinking up there, right? Mm-hmm. Like in the film, they just like he comes out and he's like listening to, like disco music. Like this music fucking sucks. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And apparently, after that in the book, he was like, "Why can Aquaman control mammals? Why can't why can't he control whales? They're mammals. It doesn't make any sense." <laughs> so he, they didn't put that in the they put that in the deleted scenes, but they didn't put it in the movie. Ah, uh, so okay. The author really wanted that line in the film. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. It would have been funny. So yeah. So yeah, they, they it all works out in the end. They managed to get back, get him back, and then they brought him home. It was all it was all good, you know. Like yeah, basically. And then you just see like undetermined amount of time later, he's back on Earth, and he's like teaching people about you know. Yeah, you experience. know, time has passed when he has gray hair. <laughs> yeah, gray hair. Yeah, it could have been a couple years. Who knows? It could have been like one or two. Hey, don't put it against him, man. The stress the man had to go through. I'm surprised they didn't bald. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can understand. <laughs> I'm sorry, Brandon. <laughs> All takes is one bad day. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the end of the film. So. Yeah, basically, uh, it, it just sees the world re- like moving on. Uh, he decides to, I think, take a teaching position in NASA. Yeah, he's teaching like potential candidates. So. Yeah, and then uh, you basically end credits are happening. You get to see just life moving on in a sense. That NASA is preparing another ship for another exploration down in Mars. Yeah. Uh, the Micropanius character, was it Martinez? Yeah. He's a part of the crew, but it seems like every other crew member decided to be, like, retiring. Which I get. I do really get. <laughs> Well, I mean, how long were they doing this mission for? For like three years, essentially. Yeah. So yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time, and I, I to some people, maybe space is just that's all it. Uh, that's all that really matters. <laughs> You've been in space. You did all that work. You're good now. Yeah, exactly. Pretty sure you're well, like supported. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's just the end of the film, and that's that's it. That's how it ends. Yeah. Uh, look. Uh, it's a happy ending. Um, I'm happy it went for a happy ending rather than like a really uh depressing ending. You can see in his whole movie like that ending. You have like the whole world watching this event, and for certain like as soon as he gets like uh like rescued, like the whole world is like celebrating again. When we talk about unrealistic parts, I feel like that's another unrealistic part. Like why? Yeah, so Jimmy is like you think people are like sitting around, not sitting around like watching this broadcast. They're just like fucking at home, being like, oh yeah, a new season of fucking whatever though on Netflix. I'm just <laughs> yeah. there watching and like we have an emergency broadcast. Like fuck that. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't doubt that they're not watching, but like the fact that they're having like Times Square, like it's Everyone's like standing new, outside, yeah, New Year's Eve type of craziness. You know, it's like no, I, I don't believe that. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I'm like, why is everyone like, like this is the future, right? Like streaming exists like you can just watch it at home you don't have to go to like Times square stand with like a thousand people to like watch a a screen like yeah but it's showing all these countries it's like damn like like mark watney being captured like i saw being rescued is like like world peace right there for everybody i don't know i just thought like that was the more corny aspect of the movie i maybe it's part of the book too 
Maybe. But like, I don't know. I just think it's low key corny maybe. and unbelievable to me. Who knows? Maybe in the future, you know, like people aren't as big assholes. <laughs> yeah, they actually get along with each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, China's willing to give up its secrets. Yeah. Just, so who knows? Maybe who they, knows? Maybe they solve some issues in the future. Maybe, but yeah, that is the Martian. Um, I remember watching this in theaters. Um. It was like up in like I saw it in IMAX 3D. Uh, I do the 3D was actually really good for this movie, from what I remember, I especially in like the scenes in like uh, Mars. I don't remember if I, I don't think I watched it in 3D, but I can't remember. So. Yeah, it's one of those movies where like again 3D renditions are really good because it really adds into to visual effects, which I feel like this movie is insanely crazy with visual effects. Yeah, I mean, we didn't really talk about the visual effects much, but they are very well done. So it's, I mean, it's believable. Like we talked about production designing that complements CG because if your production design is really terrible and your CG is good. It's going to look we- weird. Yeah. Same thing. It goes along the same way. If you had bad CG and good production value, they those two have to go hand in hand together. That's like the burger and fries. Like you need them. Yeah, I think it was a combination of, like, the attention to detail and also that since it was a more realistic film, nothing looked, like, too over-the-top, right? Yeah. And, I I mean, that's... I feel like, like, let's say a movie like Prometheus. Like, that movie has insane production design. Yeah. It's just maybe not a good film, but, like... It Ridley Scott is always gonna have crazy production design in his movies. Just, just, just how he is. Yeah, I mean, even going back to like his older films, like we talked about Alien, but even like Blade Runner, Blade like Runner. you see the opening scenes of like the city, it's like ridiculous looking. Like, yeah, it looks so insanely like, like an actual city. Like exactly. So he's always been good at that. Even like Gladiator, like building like like a coliseum. Exactly. Uh, no, everything was all good. Uh, I will give this movie uh, straight up nine, honestly. Uh, I was like trying to figure out where to go from 8.5 to nine. I don't think the length hurt me as much. I mean, we watched it. I personally didn't get so bored. I've seen this movie multiple times and I love to continue showing this movie to people because I really think it's uh, one of the better sci-fi movies out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm giving it an eight personally. Mm. Maybe just because I don't know. I I felt like a little bit towards the end. I was getting like I felt I is dragging on for me personally, mm-hmm. but it's still like as all the things we mentioned that does well. It's not like it's still a good film. Yeah, like, I fight between like eight point five to like nine, but I'm gonna lean on nine today because I was really feeling it today. Really feeling it. Uh, yeah, I was feeling, feeling the flow. Feeling the flow. <laughs> feeling it now, Mr. Krabs. Yeah, exactly. I was really feeling it. Uh, the funny funny fact that you didn't bring up yet. Um, so I remember this when this movie was coming around. The Golden Globes oh, put, yeah. put this in like best comedy. It was best comedy or musical. Yeah. And it's hilarious considering like <laughs> the motion's not a comedy at all. Yeah, there was controversy about it because it's like people are like, yeah, this is clearly not a comedy. Like, it's a drama with comedic overtones. Yeah. Or undertones, right? 
Exactly. But it's not like I. It's the. It's not a comedy. So yeah. like. I think, but then again, like the, the the Golden Globes, they suck. I hate Golden Globes. They're like the worst like award show. Yeah. After I think they said they made a change to the category, saying drama films with comedic undertones are still dramas. You can't put them as comedies. Yeah, I know. So it's, I was like, yeah, you really needed to make that rule. You couldn't just figure it out this wasn't a comedy. I don't know. Golden Globes is stupid, man. That's all you need to know. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't paid attention to those award shows in a while. The only thing was the Will Smith. <laughs> yo, I hate that too, man. Because like, yo, the Oscars are the Oscars, man. They should like, uh, like to me, like the Oscars matter. Not because I don't care what's going on, like behind the scenes or the fact that, uh, like Will Smith is slapping Chris Rock. It's more like, again, like this is presentation of the best of the best in movies, you know, supposedly, like, right? To an extent, you know, majority, I feel like majority of the Oscar movies that I've seen, like, nominate for Best Pictures and whatnot, they hit stride, you know, like, they really deserve to have a position to be in that Best Picture list. Yeah, I mean, there's been some controversial choice over the years, but generally speaking... You could say Best Winners is controversial choice. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, Driving Miss Daisy not winning against, uh, like, there was a big movie that didn't win. Like Save It Private Ryan, I think. What was the it? one controversy? The one year Crash beat out Brokeback Mountain or something? Yes, Crash uh, beat Brokeback Mountain. So, yeah. Which is kind of crazy if you think about it, because I feel like Crash was like, it's a good movie. It just wasn't, you know, I, I don't think it's a best picture. Actually, yeah, I was going to say, that's not a best picture film. I don't remember being, like, super impressed by it. Yeah, or like I, 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 I Moonlight not like winning against La La Land, for instance, like that bothered me. Yeah. It, regardless of how I think Moonlight is a great movie, it's just La La Land's better. Nobody talks about Moonlight now. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. So, anyways, that's our review on the Martian. Yeah, my favorite Martian. Yeah, your favorite Martian. Honestly. Anyways. So next time, am yeah. I right, Brandon? No. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. <laughs> bye bye. Bye.